there's a poem actually which my teacher gave to me when I think when I was in seventh or eighth standard. It has motivated me throughout my life and been with me ever since then. And it says, dare to be different, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose true, dare to make it known. Essentially, Chemical Khichdi is a book based on my experiences of living with bipolar disorder over the last 20 years, but it's also a self-help book. So there is a pathway there. There's a suggestion of, you know, things that people can do to actually improve their emotional and mental well-being. It's just their personality as opposed to perhaps thinking there could be a medical condition that's responsible for this. There's no doubt that I think women have to work pretty hard to prove themselves in this field. It's very interesting that I'm now working as a speaker, you know, as a motivational speaker, as a public speaker in various forums. And there are definitely many more men out there than there are women. There are obviously women speakers out there, but a lot of speakers are, you know, still tends to be, I feel it, there's a lot of men in that arena. So I think that it's just important that to keep having women's voices being heard. So I think that we spend so much time on WhatsApp and talking to other people. Why not have a conversation with ourselves? Once a week, once in two weeks, once in 10 days, whatever it takes. Hey, my dear listeners, welcome back to yet another show. We have yet another Inspirer joining us. And Inspire Someone today is also celebrating Women's Day in a unique way. We are getting four different women guests all through this month to celebrate Women's Day, to celebrate their journeys and their messages to all of us. And I can't be more thrilled, more joyous to have this wonderful guest joining us today. Aparna Piraman joining us all the way from uh, Mumbai, raised in Mumbai and London, uh, studied at Oxford and Harvard, a popular columnist with the Mint, a leading business daily in India. She has now a new found title to her, which is an author and much acclaimed author of a book called as uh, Chemical Kichdi. What really kind of intrigued me with uh, Aparna's work is not only has she contributed this wonderful book, but has shown, demonstrated vulnerability, giving back to the community, the wonderful book that she has written. She was also a CEO of her family business and a well-known Indian business family. So it's my great honor and pleasure to welcome Aparna Piramal on Inspire Someone today. Aparna, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Shrikant. Wonderful. So Aparna, with that Perfect backstory that you had, great, well-respected business family, great education from one of the best universities in the world, Oxford and Harvard. Tell us a bit more about your backstory and uh, what made you to kind of take on the current role of uh, being a much acclaimed author. Thanks, uh, Shikant. Well, actually, my first book was uh, published in 2015. I guess I've had many lives in the sense that I've worked in my family business which is VIP luggage and office furniture company called BPO Go for some time. Um, and then I switched to writing about 15 years ago. So I've been a columnist with the Mint newspaper, writing a column about CEOs and design. I've been fascinated by design for about 20 years. So this was something that I was doing professionally. But then personally, I also had living with bipolar disorder, which is a serious mental health condition. It's in the similar category as something like schizophrenia. 
They're different conditions, but they're in the same category. So this is a, a mood disorder which has extreme mood swings. You know, us being happy and sad and unhappy or angry, but having extreme mood swings. And I guess we can talk about it more. But so what the journey really has been at one end is to have a professional life, to have a family life, but then also live with serious mental health condition along the way, which basically got triggered when I was in my mid-20s. So I've been living it with it for 20 years. Yeah, I think we'll definitely touch upon that when we come to your book and what it kind of meant to you and what the world can kind of know from it. Like I said, you seem to have had it all, but this whole curveball was thrown at you without you knowing about it. I'm sure you had your own set of challenges when you kind of got to know about it and how you dealt about it. Just walk us through how did you kind of manage to hold on to this curveball and how did it reshape you as an individual? As I said that, you know, I had like my first incident of mania, which is one of the characteristics of bipolar disorder where, you know, you're in this state of mind where you can't control your thoughts, you can't control what you're thinking or feeling and you have these delusions of grandeur that you're going to do something very special and save the world and the world depends on it and all those kinds of thoughts which lead you to lose sleep and but despite losing sleep there's lots of energy so i think when it first started manifesting itself we really didn't have a clue as to what this was all about so it took us a long time to figure that out to get a diagnosis to start treatment although you know, we started seeking therapy early on. And I think that essentially how we made the best of it was just through a lot of understanding and acceptance. That was really what the big journey was about. And with mental health taking mainstream today, Aparna, with lot many people coming out to the open and talking about it, what was considered as a taboo subject not many years back, now with leading personalities like yourself, lot of the sporting uh, giants in the country, Bollywood stars talking about this. Do you think it has kind of started getting mainstream, it has started getting the attention it is due so that we as a society, as a community can be better prepared to manage these situations? We, God forbid if it were to happen that we are much better prepared to manage it. Yeah, I think that, you know, Shikant, there are basically the statistics show that there are like 150 to 200 million people in our country that are dealing with with some sort of mental health challenge, you know, uh, something that's not letting them live their full potential. It's a very high statistic. So I think that we are just at the beginnings of mainstreaming this. I think that we're just in some pockets and some parts of India and people are beginning to talk about it, but we have a long way to go. And how hard was it for you to kind of recognize something like this? You are a successful business woman yourself and this came in the way. So how do you kind of manage it emotionally? What was the family support like at that point of time? I think that, you know, it's been a long journey, right? It's been 20 years and there have been lots of ups and downs along the way, alongside. It's called bipolar because there are two extremes, which is mania and depression. And I think mania is something that we don't understand so well, but depression is something that I think a lot of us understand and live with. So I think that what I have really done over these years is to try and understand myself better, to understand why these triggers happen. And I think I've had been really been blessed with tremendous support, not just from family, but also my friends, my colleagues, people in my ecosystem. We've been able to get the medical help. It's taken some time, some stages, but it's really what I've learned to do is to live with it and thrive with it. 
And I think that has been the big achievement for me really is to be able to thrive with it because a lot of people struggle with it. I think that's a great call out to live with it and to thrive with it because most often they're not what happens is you tend to brush this under the carpet saying that okay, this is not something that I would want to kind of deal with it or want somebody else to know about it. But the fact that you decided to kind of live with it, thrive with it and you didn't stop there. I think you also made sure that let the broader muscles get to know about it. That's where the unveiling of Chemical Kichdi also happened. Tell me and our listeners a little more about the book, Chemical Kichdi. What was the tell behind it and um, some excerpts from the book? Yeah, I don't have the excerpts ready, but um, I think that essentially Chemical Kichdi is a book based on my experiences of living with bipolar disorder over the last 20 years, but it's also a self-help book. So there is a pathway there. There's a suggestion of, you know, things that people can do to actually improve their emotional and mental well-being. So even if they don't have like a clinically diagnosed condition, they can find ways to improve their emotional and mental health. And even if they'd like to know more about this, and if they've got someone in the family or a close friend who's struggling with, this is a book that I think can help them do that. It's been well received. And the reason I wrote it really was that, you know, writing is how I make sense of the world around me. It comes very naturally to me. I think I've really been given that as a gift able to write about what I'm experiencing. And so I just thought that when I wrote this book, that it would be something that could be helpful to other people, but also be helpful to myself to give me clarity and awareness and just to talk about this journey and share it with the outside world. So it gave me a lot of sense of purpose that there's something good that can come out of living with this condition. And that's really what the book is all about. And I must say it's very well written. So when you start reading it, you kind of very much relate to every element of what you have kind of described in the book. Couple of things that I really took away from that particular book was the excellent support system that you had, be it your doctors, be it your own families uh, that you mentioned about and your extended family and friends at every stage of what you went through. It's very critical to have that kind of a support system. So Again, did you have challenges to kind of build this support system over a period of time? How did it happen? And if there are these challenges in families, what would your recommendations for people to kind of go about and do that? Yeah, I mean, it happened over a period of time. I think when initially these mood swings started happening, family wasn't really sure what was going on. And I think we made the mistake that I think a lot of people make because that we thought it's a personality issue, you know, and that this is my personality. And I think when it comes to mental health, I think that you know, we even think that if somebody is behaving in a certain way, it is their personality. They are moody or they're quiet or they're withdrawn or they're angry. And it's just their personality as opposed to perhaps thinking that could be a medical condition that's responsible for this. So that was a, you know, a challenge for many years and until we got a diagnosis. So I think that when things started to fall into place, when the family support came through and we got a diagnosis that we like. We started medical treatment. When I understood my limitations and my strengths both, I think all of these things really helped in the recovery. And I keep saying that mental health is a team sport. It's not something that an individual can do on their own. And while it's important for an individual to take charge of their mental health, I think that is very important. They need help. It really, if it takes a village to raise a child, it really takes a community to heal a mind. You know, you can't 
expect somebody who's suffering from a mental health condition to go into a room and recover from just like they would from COVID. But it's not going to happen. They need a lot of support from people around them. And I think I always had a lot of people in my ecosystem. I had a number of friends who I used to talk to one-on-one and they really helped me with their support. So I think that the thing that I did, Shikant, which a lot of people find it a little harder to do is to actually reach out to people. You know, I was over time, I got more and more confident telling people that I have this problem. And I think that we just don't want to tell people. I mean, there are actually 60 people in the book who are all people in my inner ecosystem who knew about it, who are friends, family members, colleagues, you know, they could be my mental health practitioners, whoever they were, they knew about it. And they were people who gave me their guidance. So I think it's really important for people to reach out and ask for help. And that's the hardest thing sometimes to do when you're feeling unwell. That's so true. And Aparna, is it also the fact that because you're Aparna, you had that access to that kind of an ecosystem was easier for you to tap into it? Or do you think it's just a mental makeup? Anybody can tap into that ecosystem. It doesn't have to be you're of a certain pedigree. Only then you can kind of access to the medical fraternity or to the support system. No, I I think there are more medical resources available now than there used to be. Even in other parts of India, for example, other towns, there will be counselors, psychiatrists. There are many more online resources. And actually, in my book, I've included a lot of resources, especially that are more accessible, free resources in some cases. So I think that there's a lot of, you know, availability now. Having said that, I think the biggest thing I was blessed with was a family who accepted it and who understood that it's a medical condition. I know somebody, for example, suffering from depression from a very different background, uh, from she's suffering from postpartum depression. And I don't think her in-laws and her husband even understand what she's going through. And they're just not able to support her. They have these patriarchal notions of what a woman is expected to do and what an Indian woman is expected to do. And she's trapped in that situation. So even though she might have access to medical help, she doesn't have the what I call the love therapy that's really needed for her to cope with her condition. So I think that was a huge blessing for me. And I think especially for younger people, you know, there's an intergenerational issue where the older generation may not even understand what is depression, what is anxiety, what is mental health. These are words that are just not familiar. Why go to therapy? Just talk to me. What's the problem? You know, so I think that these are all the things that I'm hoping, you know, I can have this book is maybe a drop in the ocean, but it's helping other people to understand what mental health is all about. Absolutely. In the absence of such a lack of information is filled, this acts as a ray of hope for somebody to at least pick up, understand what's going on, maybe for themselves or maybe somebody within the family. So again, appreciate what you have done by bringing your own personal experiences in this book and making access of all that information that people can definitely leverage. So we are here talking with Aparna Piramal, talking through her story of how she went through bipolarity, what makes bipolarity what it is, some of the things that people can uh, look into. We'll switch gears here, talk about the other avatar that Aparna holds, which is being an author herself. And we are talking to Aparna as part of uh, Women's Day month here on Inspire Someone today. So from that standpoint, Aparna, does it become harder as an woman author? What myths did you have to bust on your way to becoming the author that you are today? You know, to be honest, I'm going to say, Shikant, you know, I come from a position of privilege. 
And I think in our country, if you have privilege, then gender is less relevant. I think that um, I had access to people I could interview. So it was easier for me to get a column in a prominent business daily. And they were always a very kind of gender neutral sort of organization, very supportive of women. So I think there was no issues over there. The one time I have felt that, you know, I have experienced some amount of patriarchy was when one of my mental health practitioners was very patronizing about my writing. And um, I went to see this person and they said, oh, you shouldn't be writing. You know, you're so good at planning the children's summer holidays and your husband has such a busy schedule and you should be doing that kind of thing and supporting them rather than be doing any kind of writing, at which I was very, very upset about actually. And that's a whole different story. But the point is that I think, you know, there's no doubt that I think women have to work pretty hard to prove themselves in this field. It's very interesting that I'm now working as a speaker, you know, as a motivational speaker, as a public speaker in various forums. And there are definitely many more men out there than there are women. There are obviously women speakers out there, but a lot of speakers are, you know, still tends to be, I feel it, there's a lot of men in that arena. So I think that it's just important that to keep having women's voices being heard. So this is a very important initiative. So what's your take on, on this Women's Day? How can we make a difference in the lives of women around the world? So this year's the theme is Embrace Equity. So what is your take on uh, this and how can we all make a difference? Well, I think it's really important for women to inspire. And what I would love to see is men being allies. You know, I think men can play a very important role as allies as you're doing now, as you're giving women a platform to speak. So I think that this is a day when it's important for everyone to find inspiration and to celebrate the achievements of women, but also celebrate how men can be allies. I think that's a very, very important part of that journey to have both men and women working together effectively. And I'm sure this is something that is looming on everybody's mind, just not all the women listeners, but everybody is. How does Aparna balance between her personal and professional life? I think it's pretty fluid. I think it changes from all the time. I think we all juggle our lives together, whether we are men or women. I think women definitely have, you know, a lot of responsibilities that they need to look at in terms of their family lives and the personal lives. But I don't think I try. I think what I do is on, on a given day, I don't think I try and do too much. You know, some days are going to be more with family. Some days are going to be more work-wise. But for my own thing that I need to juggle as much is I need to just be really conscious of my mental health. Like I've been in a good place now for five years, but anything could be triggered at any point in time. Like I really have to be careful all the time. So the start day, the end day, the routine for me is really, really important. Getting the right amount of sleep, trying to fit some exercise in, not working to crazy deadlines, having flexibility on what I do, having some control over my day, figuring out when and where I can travel, not taking too early morning flights or too late night flights. You know, it's just having all of that, some boundaries on the day, having a proper pace and a rhythm. These are things that are really, really important for me. Life on your own terms, that's a secret for creating balance between personal and professional life. Absolutely, yes. I'll say one thing is I've begun to say no to a lot of stuff, you know, and I think we all suffer from FOMO and we all want to do so much. So as I was saying is I've begun saying no to a lot of stuff. And I think that that's something that women in particular struggle with because we want to do it all. Like we want to be perfect at everything. And so saying no to late night, 
engagements, you know, saying no to work that may or may not be that relevant to me. I don't have to do it. You know, saying no to social things that crowd the calendar unnecessarily. So I think just having the ability to say no is one of the things that I really have tried to do for this year, actually. I think that's a wonderful way of managing your own stuff, bringing in that balance. And one of the stuff that I keep hearing from a lot of my women colleagues, and I mentor quite a lot of them as well, is the fact of how do you manage the guilt, right? I think this is pretty much more among women working professionals, less with the male professionals, is that when you're at work and if you miss a deadline for your kid at school or some important event at school, that element of feeling that guilt is a lot more higher. So anything that you have kind of managed in your own career that you can pass it on as inputs to our listeners? You know, I think because I've learned, I've had to take care of myself a lot because otherwise I would be in an unstable situation. Like I would be absolutely unstable. I have learned to prioritize my own self, you know, and I don't feel guilty. You know, I do things also to try and find the balance. So for example, if I'm traveling for two days in a row, then I will try and make sure that I'm at home the third day or whatever it is, you know. But I don't let work define me as much as I used to. Work, I think, was such a big part of my identity earlier. I would still say I'm a pretty driven person, but it doesn't define me that much. And if I've had to delay things, then I ask for the request to delay it. So I think that if you can just start valuing yourself and prioritizing your own mental health, your emotional being, your mental well-being, if you can take care of yourself, I think that's really important. And then a lot of that guilt will disappear because the guilt comes from feeling that, you know, you are not valuing what you are doing. You know, you feel you should be doing something else. So, yeah. That's so very true. Coming from an ace who has done multiple roles, who has kind of successfully been at it. So, Thanks for some of those wonderful uh, insights that you have provided. You being an author, a lot of the folks wanting to be an author, what would be your word of advice for a want to be author? I think be very clear why you're writing. If you want to write to be famous, I think that's quite hard because it's really hard being an author. You know, you're writing by yourself and then you have to promote yourself and promote your book. And though both of these are difficult activities that require a lot of energy. So do it because you love it and because you love the writing and not because you're trying to be famous. Right. For the passion of writing and not to be famous. Okay. So we have been talking to Aparna Piramal here, talking to her about her book, Chemical Kitchdi, her own journey of bipolarity. Some key messages around Women's Day and how to strike a work-life balance. Aparna will slip into what is called as a power of three round. In this section, I will throw at you a series of questions. Each of us needs to come back with three sharp answers. So if you are ready, we'll kind of get started with the power of three round. Okay, here we are with Aparna and the power of three round. Three routines that are unique to Aparna. I don't think anything is really unique to anyone, but sitting on my swing and listening to music is one. Journaling is very, very important to me. And I often take naps after breakfast, which I shouldn't be doing, but I do that because I wake up early in the morning with so many ideas that then when I have breakfast, I need to catch up on my sleep again after that. That's your way of pulling down on your ideas, is it? Three advices that has helped you to pursue your passion. Well, actually, there's only one advice, but it has four lines. So you can assume that's like close enough. 
there's a poem actually which my teacher gave to me when I think when I was in seventh or eighth standard. It has motivated me throughout my life and been with me ever since then. And it says, dare to be different, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose true, dare to make it known. Oh, how beautiful. And I cannot have asked you this particular question, which is three book recommendations that I can have from you. So I loved Clayton Christensen's How Will You Measure Your Life? I think it has a very practical toolkit that you can apply. Anyone can apply to their life. And it's also very philosophical. So it's interesting. I loved Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which is a book for Women's Day in particular. It's for all women. They must read it. And I think a book that really changed my life was because I studied it as part of a one-year course on Vedanta was The Holocaust of Attachment. So it's not just a book to read, but it's a book to be studied as part of a course, I would say. We had satsangs happening every week. So The Holocaust of Attachment by Swami Patsarthi. Excellent. And you have been a leader yourself. Uh, You have been the author or or contributor of Head Office. And uh, what are three traits that has helped you flourish as a leader? Thank you. I would say for me, courage is the most important thing. I think if you don't have courage in life, you don't have anything. Courage to do what you want to do. Courage to speak the truth. Courage to pursue your dreams and passions. You need courage because anything that involves any amount of purpose comes. You need to get courage and you need to understand where you draw that courage from. Where is that courage coming from? Where are you getting it? So that's courage is one. Resilience related to that. I think we talk so much about success. But if we talk about resilience and vulnerability, I think we have more chances of being successful rather than being less successful. I think resilience is very important. And I would love to think optimism you know, always having an optimistic view on life is, for me, the glass is always half full. It's never half empty. What wonderful traits, courage, resilience, and optimism. Something for the leaders to look up to. Three things on your bucket list, Aparna? Well, I really want to do one thing, which is I want to go to Kailash Mansarovar. And for me to say that, I think it's just a huge thing because I am really unfit right now. Also, I've had bad experiences of tearing ligaments while walking down mountains. So to say I want to go to a snowy, icy place like that is like out of the window right now. But, you know, it took me seven years from the time I wanted to write Chemical Khichdi to having it out published seven years. So maybe seven years from now, you'll see me at Kailash Mansaro. So Wonderful. I'll be rooting for you on that and wish you good luck in pursuing that uh, dream of yours to go on your bucket list stuff. Uh, You often hear people asking you about what's your advice to your younger self? And I have a twist to that question. I would ask you, what is your advice to your older self? My advice to my older self is just to be brave and take the risks and just don't have any regrets. Be brave and have no regrets. That's wonderful. Great. So that was the power of three round, Aparna. Thank you for being a sport and participating in this. I hope you had fun doing this particular segment. So we are introducing a new segment for the benefit of our listeners. Uh, what we do at the end of every episode is we have an industry expert listening to this entire conversation give a three to four minute summary of what we call this segment as making it stick. So this uh, industry expert is a human behavior expert. 
who listens to our entire conversation at the end of this show and provides nuggets of what are those key elements that our listeners can take away apart from listening to this podcast that they can go back and implement. So this is for the benefit of all of our listeners that there's a brand new segment that will help you more to go back and implement some of these wonderful nuggets. You get to hear some of these wonderful guests. So with that said, we are kind of coming closer to the home run here. We did discuss about your journey, about your book, about your message to all the women folks celebrating uh, Women's Day. There's one key element that has kind of stayed consistent with you, who you are all through your journey is the whole power of resilience. You have been a very resilient individual on the face of a lot of obstacles that you had to face during your career journey, life journey so far. How do you draw this resilience? Where do you draw this resilience from? What practices do you kind of follow to strengthen your resilience quotient? So I think I've had a lot of mentors who have really supported me. And I think, you know, when you don't believe in yourself and you think you have really low self-esteem or you're confused about which direction to take yourself in, which paths to follow, you're worried about your self-worth, you think you have no identity, you don't know what your value is. I think mentors really help you on that path of resilience. They believe in you. If they're like coaches or sponsors or mentors, you know, nowadays people say you need a role model, you need a coach, you need a sponsor, and you need a mentor. So I think that, you know, I've had a few of all of these I've managed to find over the years, but I think they've really helped me as well as, of course, my family who've always been there. But I think the mentoring that I received was just amazing. They helped me to be resilient. But I think somewhere down the line, also, I wanted it, right, Srikant? I didn't want to be a mother who was in her pajamas waiting for her children to come back from school. I didn't want that life for myself. I wanted to lead a full life. I always saw myself as somebody who's like a busy bee, you know, leading a very full life. And I think I was born like that as a child. There was a song actually that says that I'm a busy bee. I'm busy all day long. And that's why I sing this busy bee song. And I remember as an eight-year-old, I wrote this down on a piece of paper for myself and think I still have it somewhere. So I think I just like being a busy bee, you know, like it comes to me. That's what I want to do. And I didn't want to be defeated by my condition. I never wanted to be defeated by it. And I just wanted to live a normal life. So I think along with resilience, like resilience draws from resolve. You know, I'm not saying that people who are struggling don't have resolve. I don't want to say that at all because I know people are genuinely struggling and it's very difficult to deal with, especially things like, you know, depression, which can make it so hard to go out and to have a life. But Mm -hmm. I think that alongside the mentoring and my own desire, these are the two things that just worked really well. And they were really like the wind beneath my wings, you know, these things. And any specific practices that you would want to share with our listeners to up their resilience quotient? Well, I think I journal, you know, I've been maintaining a journal for 10 years. It's changed my life. It's changed my attitude because in the journal, I don't write every day, but I write about what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, why I'm going through that. Why is this happening? You know, what is this the cause for it? And what am I going to do about it? You know, so I just make that a practice of like, What's happening? Why it's happening? What am I going to do about it? And I've been doing that kind of regularly over the years. And that's given a lot of clarity and awareness. And I think that I know a lot of people talk about journaling and why it's important, but it's really made a very big material difference to my life and given me a lot of clarity. I couldn't have written Chemical Kitchery without having gone through that experience of journaling because that's what gave me the 
self-awareness and clarity to be able to, you know, write a book like that. So I think that we spend so much time on WhatsApp and talking to other people. Why not have a conversation with ourselves once a week, once in two weeks, once in 10 days, whatever it takes. Also, there are some really good apps right now that can help you and prompt you to have this conversation. So one app that your listeners might like to know about is Stoic. It's called S-T-O-I-C, Stoic. And it's a very interesting app for, you know, just journaling, meditating, breathing. It asks you questions, has prompts, helps you reflect. So I think this self-reflection or introspection is a practice that is immensely valuable. Wonderful. We'll make sure that we'll make reference of Stoic in the show notes. Looking at stick, your actionable insights from today's conversation. Take it, implement it, and see the difference. Hi, Sanchita here. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Aparna as much as I did. Aparna says, If it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a community to heal a mind. Later on, she talks about courage, resilience, and optimism is required in everything you set out to do. Now, let me marry these two statements and explain how building resilience and social support are interdependent. Psychologists call the ability to walk through bad experiences resilience. Understandably, there has been a lot of research interest in why some people are more resilient than the others. Some studies say that in order to build resilience, we require something called psychological flexibility that gives us the ability to not avoid difficult emotions but accept them as a part of our lives. When we remain in contact with adverse experiences and approach challenging situations in an accepting and a flexible way, we become more resilient and are more likely to pursue a meaningful life. Though some of you may think it's easier to change ourselves when it comes to facing adversity and move on, research suggests that positive relationships and supportive environments have an important role to play. How resilient we are may have as much or more to do with our social milieu and circle of support as it does with a person's strengths. Elliot Friedman and resiliency researcher says, the availability of social support in all its forms, be it emotional support or support with just how you think about things, they all matter and help us in facing challenge. We don't always know where to begin when it comes to building social and community relationships. What if you're not blessed with family support? What do you do? Luckily, there are plenty of ways that you can begin making connections outside your family. You could seek out group events and meetups where you can engage in activities that you enjoy with people who may have at least one common interest with you. This can be a great way of uh, meeting several new people at the same time. You could consider seeking out volunteer opportunities with a non-profit or a cause you would like to support. You could join a sports or trekking team, find groups and organizations that are based around your interests, like book clubs, alumni network, something around spirituality. All these activities have at their root the opportunity for deeper or wider social and emotional connection. Investing in relationships within or outside family keeps us safe. However, sometimes a mental health condition could come in the way of making connections. In that case, 
reaching out to a mental health professional can help provide you with support and give you advice for how you can better connect with others. Social support networks are critical to resiliency. Sometimes they work to prevent adversities and sometimes they just act as shock absorbers. In other words, when you're going through a hard time, turn to the people around you. Just like Aparna said, it takes a village to help each of its members to bounce back from disaster. Aparna, you had the best seat at the house when you were doing head office. If you were to kind of draw specific lessons out of it and share what was your insights in a very capsuled version to all of our listeners, what would that be? Yeah, so, you know, it's really interesting when you meet so many leaders and we talk about a lot of things. We talk about their business and their industries, their companies, their personality, but we also talk about the day to day. And one of the things that I really learned from head office is to understand more about how people do what they do. You know, so I think we understand, let's say Ratan Tata does, for example, you know, the kind of decisions he's made, the people he's hired, the value he exhibits, the personality he has. How does he do that is what I've tried to understand. And I've learned a lot about people's daily habits, because what you do on an everyday basis is actually what success is about, you know. So even, I mean, Aristotle said this, that excellence is not an act, but it is a habit, you know, and there's so much discussion of around on habits these days after books like Atomic Habits. So I think that, you know, writing this column has really made me understand how people manage meetings, the people, their energy, their fitness, their, you know, hobbies. And these are the things that they're actually doing every day that help them to reach that success that they have achieved. So it's doing those small little things consistently on a day in day out basis is what makes success. And the way they do it, right? Each person is different. Each person has a different formula, but the way that they've arrived at to to make that work for them, those patterns are really interesting. Great. So, Aparna, this show is all about creating ripples of inspiration. As we come to the close of this conversation, what's your Inspire Someone Today message to all our listeners out here? I will repeat the poem I said earlier because I just love it so much, Srikant. And it's just no been my message. And I think it's so important to have purpose in life, right? So, dare to be different. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose true. Dare to make it known. Dare to make it known. Dare to be different. Those are the words of wisdom coming from Aparna Piramal Rajay. Aparna, thank you so much for uh, being here on the show, sharing your life journey, sharing those wonderful uh, nuggets that each one of us can reflect on and take it forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening into today's edition of Inspire Someone Today. It's been a privilege to bring in these conversations. If you like this episode and have any feedback or comments, do mail me at inspiresomeonetodaypodcast at the rate gmail.com. Inspiring someone is like creating ripples around us. If you like what to listen, feel free to share them and let's create ripples of inspiration. Do not forget to follow me on my Instagram handle at the rate Inspire Someone Today podcast for all the latest updates. This is Srikant, your host, signing off. And until next time, keep inspiring.